today, uh, as Owen tipped you off uh, a bit earlier on, uh, is the final instalment, part 22 uh, of our series in the book of Hebrews. And if you remember, uh, pretty much uh, every Sunday we said that this is a book written to a whole bunch of people whose lives are filled with difficulties and pain and problems. And pretty much every week, we've also seen how the writer of the book of Hebrews gives us yet another way, another reason to deal with the challenges of life without falling apart. And so as this is the final instalment, I thought we'd have a bit of a recap. And just to tip you off, I'm going to require a bit of audience participation here. Um, It didn't go so well last week when we tried it in the south side, uh, but I believe for much better from you. Okay, so um, thinking caps on, what are some of the things we've seen over the last 21 weeks? Uh, What are some of the lessons we've learned? What encouragements does the writers of the Hebrews give us for persevering through difficult times? faith, yes, uh, the, the encouragement to keep believing, have faith. Uh, there is a clue on the screen as well for, for those who want to get in there quick. Jesus is greater. So uh, what are some of the things that Jesus is greater than that we've seen? Greater than angels, way back at the beginning, yep. Greater than the law, yep. He fulfills the law in every way. Greater than the temple, greater than the prophets. Yeah, all of the examples, they all point to Jesus, all have their fulfillment in Jesus. And so why would we go back to, uh, for, for, for the Jewish people, why would they just go back to how things were before when Jesus is greater? Uh, for us today, there's perhaps the temptation to go back to our old way of life before we knew Jesus, uh, to fit in with the culture around us. But the message loud and clear through the book is, no, Jesus is greater than all of that. Uh, any other other encouragements to keep going, to persevere, to press on that we've seen? We know where we're going. There's the hope of the city to come and it's assured or we can be confident in it. Okay, let's quit while we're ahead. Uh, Plenty of other reasons why we should keep going. Today as we come to the final passage right at the end of the book, we see one more thing that writer says you need if you're going to keep on persevering. Ready for it? You have to have shepherds in your life, which in my mind kind of leads to three questions. Why on earth do we need shepherds? Who should the shepherds be? And what exactly does a shepherd do? Well, let's see what answers this passage provides. We're going to pick it up in chapter 13 and start reading in verse 17. The writer says this, obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls and they are accountable to God. Give them reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow. That would certainly not be for your benefit. Pray for us, for our conscience is clear And we want to live honorably in everything we do and especially pray that I will be able to come back to you soon. Now, may the God of peace, 
who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, and ratified an eternal covenant with his blood. May he equip you with all you need for doing his will. May he produce in you through the power of Jesus Christ every good thing that is pleasing to him. All glory to him forever and ever. Amen. First question, why do we need shepherds? Well, it's pretty simple really. It's because we are like sheep. Uh, We see it in verse 20 where Jesus is called the great shepherd of the sheep. It's this recurring image, this recurring theme that keeps coming up through the Bible. We are his flock. He is the shepherd. We're his sheep. But I wonder whether you've ever just paused and stopped and reflected on what the Bible's actually saying when it calls us sheep. Now, because we're a bunch of city dwellers, we might need a little bit of help here. So what are some of the characteristics of sheep? Let, 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 let's help one another out here. What, what are sheep like? Woolly. Funny enough, that was the first thing that was said in the sales site as well. So yes, sheep are woolly. Uh, Any other characteristics of sheep? They wander. They certainly do. They eat a lot. Yep, (laughs) yep. They're not very bright. Exactly. Yeah. Anything else about sheep? They follow each other. Anything else? They don't like wolves. Yep, certainly not. Anything else? They can get lost very easily. There's a guy called John Stott, one of the great preachers from the last century. He says this. He says, I hesitate to describe the people of God as dirty, literally lousy and stupid but that's pretty much the force of this image. It's like if you take any other domestic animal outside and let them loose, they'll do one of two things. They'll either go out and live in the wild and fend for themselves, or else they will somehow find their way home. But sheep can't do either. They're too helpless to defend themselves in the wild against the wolves and whatever. Uh, They wander around, they they can't find their way home. They have absolutely no sense of direction. Sheep will die without a shepherd. And so when the Bible calls you sheep, you might think, oh, that's nice and woolly and nice and whatever. It, It means well, but actually it's a huge insult. It basically means we desperately need outside help. We desperately need shepherds in our lives. We'll never keep going. We'll never press on to the end. We'll never persevere to the very end without a shepherd or shepherds looking out for us. Which begs the question, secondly, who then should the shepherds be? If we all need shepherds, who are they? Well, before we jump back into the text and see what the writer of Hebrews says, I think there are two equal and opposite mistakes that you can easily make about shepherding. One danger is deciding to be your own shepherd and not being accountable to anybody, not letting anybody close in your life, not giving anybody the right to tell you how to live. And reality, I think by default, most people in the culture around us choose to live like this. But as we're going to see, being your own shepherd is an absolute disaster. 
it rarely ends well. The opposite danger to own shepherding is over-shepherding, where you seek people as shepherds in an unhealthy way. Now, I think this is understandable. It's an easy trap to fall into, not least because it says in verse 17 here that you are to obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. In other words, you do need somebody in your life with authority. Authority, according to the Bible, is a good thing but authoritarianism is not. Let me quickly give you a couple of examples to help you try and grasp what authoritarianism is. First up, I've observed this in a number of people, there's emotional authoritarianism. Emotional authoritarianism is when you look for the great shepherd of your life in some human relationship, in someone who will come into your life and fix everything for you, someone who will come along and make everything all right for you. Now, if you look at any human being, whether parent or child, whether boyfriend or girlfriend, whether friend or spouse, if you look at any other human being and say, because this person loves me, I now have meaning in my life and everything's going to be okay. Or because I know this person loves me, I now know I'm worth something and so I'm secure. If you look at anybody like that, you've effectively made that person your great shepherd. Listen, don't wish to sound harsh but the probability is that you will end up ruining them and they will end up in some way ruining you. The dependence and the subsequent problems that are going to come from that, they're just massive. For starters, they will probably never be able to stand up under the sheer weight of the expectations that you're putting on them. They'll never be able to live up to that. And as a result, sooner rather than later, you'll end up hurt in some way, let down, and in pieces. That's emotional authoritarianism. There's also leader authoritarianism. Loads of people out there who are empty on the inside, Uh, And they get strength by attaching themselves to very authoritarian leaders who exercise way too much control over every single part of the person's life. Now, looking in from the outside, you can wonder perhaps why people get sucked into this. Here's why. Own shepherding and over-shepherding actually fuel one another. People who maybe got too little shepherding when they're growing up, maybe with parents who neglected them, uh, parents who gave them no boundaries, no standards, parents who gave them way too much freedom. Very often people who have had to be their own shepherd completely embrace over-shepherding. Or if you've been a victim at some point in your life of over-shepherding, maybe you've grown up in a very authoritarian home or you've had experiences in a very authoritarian church or some other culture or institution that majors on authority, you can overreact to that and resolve you're not going to be accountable to anybody. You're not going to share control of your life with anyone else. And I've got to tell you, that is just as much a disaster As Martin Luther once put it, human beings are like a drunken man on a horse 
who, having fallen off the horse on one side, leaps up to promptly fall off on the other. I think that's how a lot of us end up living, kind of lurching from one extreme to the other in reaction to this thing or that thing and flip-flopping between the two. But when you see what the Bible says about who our shepherd should be, I think we're going to find this astonishing balance that helps us navigate through all of this. So who should you look to as a shepherd? Well, first of all, your peers in the church. Just have a look around the room. These are your shepherds, your peers in the church. If you remember, uh, way back in chapter 3, verse 13 of Hebrews, it says, you must warn each other every day while it is still today so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. Now look, coming to a church meeting like this every week and hopefully listening to the preacher is certainly a good thing to do. I'm not knocking that at all, but just doing that is not enough to fulfill this verse. It's nowhere near active enough. This verse is saying you should be shepherding one another and notice this you should be doing this pretty much every day in other words there should be some other people in the church your peers your friends who you're letting into your life pretty far pretty deep people to whom you're saying look from now on my private life is your business I'm going to share with you everything I can about what I'm struggling with and my weaknesses and some of the temptations I'm battling to overcome. But more than that, I want you to get to know me well enough that you can actually see me and show me things that I'm blind to, things that I don't even see. I give you permission to come into my life and start calling me to account to live the way that Jesus wants me to live. And it's a mutual thing. They do that for you and you do the same for them. You're into their life the way that they're into your life. Maybe you're thinking, hold on a minute. I mean, shepherd one another? Open up my life to this bunch of people? I mean, what qualification do they have to start speaking into my life and telling me how to live? The answer is, ready for this? They are not you. That's the main qualification these people have to speak into your life. They're not you. There are all kinds of things that almost anyone who is not you, who you spend enough time with, will see that you are blind to. So first of all, you've got to have friends, peers, family in the church who you authorize not just to be your friends, not just to hang out with you every now and again, but whatever you do, stay away from my private stuff. I mean, don't hold me accountable. I mean, don't ask me the reasons why I'm making this decision. Don't, don't you dare talk to me about how I spend my money. Don't ask me anything about my sex life. I mean, that's my job. That's for me to work out all by myself. That's private business. If you live like that, you have no shepherding in your life, and that's never going to go well for you. So who are the shepherds? First of all, your peers in the church, the other people in the room here. Secondly, uh, this will probably come as no surprise to you, this is the obvious one, who are your peers, uh, sorry, who are your shepherds 
Jesus himself. It says in verse 20, Jesus is the great shepherd of the sheep. He's your ultimate shepherd. I think this is so important to grasp. It's like Jesus looks at you and he says, please, let your parents be your parents. Let your children be your children. Let your spouse be your spouse. Let your friend be your friend. Let your boyfriend or girlfriend be your boyfriend or girlfriend. But don't turn them into your saviour. Don't form an unhealthy dependence on them. Don't make any of them the main thing in your life. Don't revolve your whole life around them. At the end of the day, the, the only way you're going to stay away from the twin dangers of own shepherding and over-shepherding is if you have Jesus in your life as the ultimate shepherd. Otherwise, you're going to either be too afraid of authority or too needy of authority. Now, we're going to come back and focus a bit more on Jesus, the great shepherd, before we're done. But just want you to see that it's so important that we have this balance of shepherding one another at a peer level, and it's a mutual thing, and then having Jesus as the great shepherd. If we have that balance, then alongside that, it's also imperative that you're shepherded by your spiritual leaders in the church. We need all three. Verse 17 couldn't be clear. It says, obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls and they are accountable to God. Now look, unless you are a member of a church, I'm not really sure how you can go about obeying this verse. You've got to find Christian leaders who you trust and where they're shepherds of the flock, you've got to join that flock. Pretty much that's what church membership is all about. It's about so much more than just listening to your favorite preacher on his podcast every week or on his YouTube channel every week or just attending a meeting on a Sunday. Now look, please don't stop attending the meeting and you're more than welcome to keep listening to the podcast or watching the YouTube channel. Don't, don't stop that. But I'd urge you to go deeper than that. Uh, unless there's some kind of commitment, unless there's a mutual agreement where the leaders say, look, I know I'm accountable before God for you, and you can say, hand on heart, look, I've given you the right to call me to account to live my life as I should be living it. If you're not doing this, then you're missing out on a major part of God's design for your spiritual growth and your well-being. Now again, I know some of you are slightly nervous of this, and I get that. I mean, obey your spiritual leaders? How could the writer of Hebrews say that? Well, if it helps, here's what it doesn't mean. that The writer's not talking about the leader of the church showing up at your house, knocking on the door and saying, okay, quit your job. Give me your car. Stop supporting Liverpool. Well, well mate, no, no, not even that, not even that. Even if it's for your well-being, don't, I'm not even going there. But, not going to knock on your door and say, start tithing to me. Now, all of that is an abuse of leadership. Now, he's talking about obeying in matters of spiritual direction. He's telling you that 
God has ordained leaders in your life. And if this is a church that he's led you to, you should submit to that leadership. Except, of course, in matters where the leaders are clearly in violation of Scripture. Now, if you can't follow the leaders of the church with good conscience, it's important that you go to them and talk it through with them. And if you still can't see eye to eye and you can't agree to disagree on the matter, and let's face it, we all are going to disagree on some things. It's not that you've got to dot every I and cross every T. In a lot of cases, you can say, yeah, we can agree to disagree, but I'm still happy to submit to your leadership. But if you can't do that, I'd say go somewhere else where you can follow the leaders with good conscience. But what you shouldn't do is just hang around gossiping and moaning and being divisive. As it says in verse 17, give them, give your leaders reason to do this, reason to lead with joy and not with sorrow. For that would certainly not be for your benefit. It's like, if you make it easy for leaders to lead, if you make it a joy for them to lead you, then they're going to be a whole lot freer to lead, a whole lot better, and it's going to go a whole lot better for you. Now, just to add, this doesn't mean that the church is led by people who are infallible or perfect in every way. Sorry to shatter any illusions you may have. Not saying that. That's why we're also, I think, instructed in verse 18 to pray for our leaders in the church. I know for a fact that the leaders here at Church Central do not always get it right. Is that fair enough? Absolutely. We, we don't always get it right. Although we spend no small amount of time seeking God, trying to hear from Him, trying to determine what God's direction is for the church, we know we can get it wrong at times and we desperately need your prayer. I'd appeal to you, please pray regularly and often for the leaders of the church. We need your prayers. So that's a few comments on who we should look to as shepherds, uh, one another, Jesus the great shepherd, uh, and also our leaders in the church of which we are members. Thirdly, what does a shepherd actually do? More specifically, what does a Christian shepherd do? Well, you sort of see it here in verses 20 and 21. It says, the great shepherd of the sheep equips you with all you need for doing his will. He produces in you every good thing that is pleasing to him. That's what shepherds do. Shepherds equip you to do God's will. They, they, they show you how to live. They guide you. Because sheep, as we've seen already, don't have great sense of direction it's the job of shepherds to say they're that way that's how you should live that's the way you should go if you want to please God now there are a whole lot of people who say well that's the great thing about Christianity I've heard loads of people say that the way you know Christianity is true is the example of changed lives and there are some great testimonies out there aren't there but if you're really going to say that is how you know Christianity is true you just need to keep in mind that pretty much every religion, in fact, not even religions, every moral community in the world has the capacity to produce changed lives. 
In fact, C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Abolition of Man, he compares the kind of lives that Jesus wants you to live, Moses wants you to live, Confucius wants you to live, Buddha wants you to live, and Muhammad wants you to live. And he says, you know what? They're not all that different. If you look at all the various shepherds of all the moral communities of the world, they're basically all trying to get you to love your family, be sexually pure, not be materialistic, care for the poor, be unselfish, be a servant, love one another, forgive, share what you have, tell the truth, and live lives of integrity. They pretty much all have their own shepherds who are saying, here's how you should live. Superficially, at least, all the different shepherds of all the religions and moral communities in the world are basically shooing the sheep in the same direction. Now maybe you're thinking, okay, now you've confused me. I mean, are you saying there's no difference between Christianity and all the other religions in the world? I am. Not saying that at all. There is all the difference in the world. If you move beyond how they live, their kind of practice on the surface to why they live the way they do, the motivation, the reason behind it, there is a colossal difference. If you want to know the unique dynamic of Christian shepherding, if you want to know what sets Jesus apart from all the other shepherds, take another look at verse 20. It says, now may the God of peace who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, and ratified an eternal covenant with his blood, may he equip you with all you need for doing his will. Now usually, when the Bible talks about the resurrection, it talks, doesn't it, about Jesus being raised from the dead. Sure, we've all heard the Bible speaking in those terms. Here it says, God brought Jesus up from the dead. Now, what's the big deal about that? Well, the way the sentence is constructed and the specific words that are used here, as I'm sure you're all aware already, perfectly mirror Isaiah 63 verse 11. Were you there already? Yeah, you, you, you know this stuff. Where uh, you, You'll know anyway, but just for those who, who may not realize, God there is called the shepherd of the flock who brought them, his people, up out of the sea. It's a reference to the great exodus where God led his people out of exile. And commentators who have studied these passages long and hard for many years say that this is a very deliberate use of words that is meant to make the reader stop and think, what do you mean return from exile? How is the resurrection of Jesus a return from exile? And so if that's what the writer wants us to stop and think about, let's stop and think about this for a little while. In the Bible, exile is one of the main pictures or examples or metaphors for what's wrong with us. When you put yourself ahead of God or when you put yourself ahead of others, the Bible calls that sin and it always results in some kind of alienation or separation or exile. For example, way back at the very beginning in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve decided to ignore God and be their own Lord, what happened? They, they lost their own home, 
They ended up shut out in exile. Read through the next chapters in Genesis when uh, Cain killed Abel, when Jacob deceived his father. Both of them lost their home. They had to go out into exile. And then as we've seen with the Israelites, the people of God in Egypt, they they were exiled from their homeland as well until eventually God brought them out and gave them a brand new home. Remember the story? Exodus 12 We're told that God comes to them and says, I'm going to bring you up out of Egypt, but first I want you to kill a lamb. I want you to eat it tonight with your family and then paint the blood on the doorposts so that the angel of justice will pass over you and then I'll lead you up out of captivity and into the promised land. And... In remembrance of this event, they then celebrated the Passover meal together once a year. Now, fast forward 1,300 years to the night before Jesus was going to die. Jesus stands up at the Passover meal with his friends, his disciples, And he starts speaking to them about how his body is going to be broken and his blood is going to be spilled out for them. You know, the disciples around that table must have thought this is the weirdest, the most bizarre Passover meal they'd ever been to. But what Jesus was saying was, yes, there are shepherds. That There are many shepherds all over the world who come and will very happily tell you how to live. But I want you to know I am the ultimate shepherd because I am the only shepherd who becomes a lamb. I'm the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I'm the ultimate Passover lamb. And what's going to happen to me tomorrow on the cross is the ultimate exile. I'm going to experience the alienation, the separation that your sin deserves. I'm going to take it into my own body. I'm going to experience the weight of it on my shoulders and I'm going to pay the penalty for your sin. And then when God brings me back up through the resurrection from that ultimate exile you'll know for sure I didn't just bring you out of political and social bondage the way Moses did way back when but you'll know I've destroyed sin and death and hell itself Jesus is saying all shepherds tell you here's how you have to live but I am the only shepherd who effectively became a sheep I'm the only shepherd who doesn't just stand here telling you, here's how you have to live. I'm the only shepherd who came to live the life you should have lived and died the death you should have died in your place. So that when you come to God the Father in my name, you can be sure 100% he delights in you. His affection is on you. He's for you and not against you all eternity let me spell out what this means here's the difference between religion and the gospel the good news of Jesus religion says if I try really hard to live right maybe perhaps possibly if I keep my fingers crossed 
God will accept me. The gospel says, because of the incredible sacrifice of Jesus Christ, and because you are already completely accepted in him, now go and live right. Religion, if I live right, God will accept me. Gospel, because I'm already accepted in Jesus Christ, now I freely live right. In religion, you you live right out of that anxious hope that if you try hard enough to get it right, you'll somehow maybe perhaps move God to bless you. And you can't be sure of this, but he might choose to take you to heaven. But in the gospel, you live right out of the glorious joy of knowing God himself has moved heaven and earth already to pay the penalty for your sin. So he'll never ever have to lose you again religion says you had better live right or god will reject you the gospel says at infinite cost to himself god will now never reject you so don't you now want to live right to delight him to please him to resemble him so there you have it two very different approaches to shepherding religion shepherds you from a place of fear and anxiety the gospel shepherds you to live right out of sheer joy the question is which shepherding dynamic is at the heart is at the core of your life now because i want to be a good shepherd to you because i care enough although i'm tempted to end there I'm going to keep going and I've got another three points that I'm going to deal with, I promise you, in three minutes. So I'm going to close this out by giving you three telltale signs in three minutes to help you work out which shepherding dynamic is at work in your life. As I've seen, all moral people, including Christians, try to live right. But the differences can be seen when other people don't live right when circumstances don't go right and when you don't perform right first of all when other people don't live right religious people tend to look at people who aren't living right and they feel pretty proud and very superior to them they're very quick to look down on them condemn them and judge them why because religious people say the difference between you and me is i'm making the effort and quite honestly you're not But through the gospel, a Christian looks at people who aren't living right and recognizes the only difference between them both is the grace of God. It's like, if you know you're you're, you're merely a sinner saved by grace, how can you feel superior? How can you feel any better than them? So if you attack people who believe differently or behave differently than you, if you're harsh, if you're judgmental, if you're condemning, if you're self-righteous, if you're proud, that shows you you don't have the joyous, love-fueled, shepherding dynamic of the gospel at work in your life. How do you know which dynamic is at work in you when other people don't live right? Secondly, second difference comes out when circumstances don't go right in your life. When things go wrong in their life, the religious person says, I've lived a good life, and therefore God owes me a good life. 
So when things don't go right, you either get incredibly bitter and angry towards God and you throw in the towel and give up on him, or you get incredibly guilty and feel like, well, I mustn't be living a good enough life, so God must be punishing me in some way. God's against me. But if the gospel shepherding dynamic is at work in your life, when things don't go right, you know it can't be punishment because all your punishment has already been carried by Jesus. You also don't think, well, how could God let this happen to me? Because read the Bible. Jesus lived a pretty good life, a lot better than you. And if we're being honest, he went through some pretty lousy circumstances at times. Yet God the Father turned it around for good in every instance. So because of the dynamic of the cross, you're not going to be so thrown when circumstances go wrong. But most of all, you can see the difference between a religious person and a Christian, a person who's driven by fear and a person who's shepherded by joy and love when you yourself get it wrong, when you yourself don't perform right. You see, for the religious person, when they fail in some moral way, the foundation of their identity is destroyed. So their whole identity is based on the idea they are a good person and they are better than others. But if you believe the gospel and you fail, as we all do at times, you're driven further into your foundation because your foundation is the grace of God. So you can readily admit you're a sinner without doubting for one moment you're still loved and accepted by God which is why we can be honest about our weaknesses and our struggles and our failings with one another, not fearing they're going to judge us or what they think of us or any of that. We're secure in that. We know we're loved, but we need help. And here's the thing. When people who are all living in the good of the grace of God like this all get together like this and start shepherding one another, it's not going to be abusive it's not going to be controlling, but it will be direct. Because we care deeply for one another, we're not going to hold back from speaking the truth to one another in love, but always and everywhere in a way that points people to Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep. And perhaps more than anything else, that's what we need if we're going to keep persevering through difficult times.